0: and those who uh, were leading, but they're not done because we've got three more coming up to do the scripture reading this morning. So it's Summer, Heidi, and Victoria. Come on up, ladies, and read our scripture. It's going to be from John chapter 1 again, starting in verse 6 this time. John chapter 1, verse 6. There was
1: a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave his testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him. But the man who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that that's God's chosen one.
0: Amen. Thank you, ladies. John chapter 1 and our series called Why Jesus. So we're going to overlap a little bit with last week's passage and go back and specifically read about a man named John the Baptist. Now, isn't that uh, fitting that we would talk about John the Baptist today? That actually wasn't planned out either, but uh, here we are. Um, What I want us to see today... Uh, four sections in this passage, and here they are. First of all, verses 6 to 8, we have John testifying about John. More specifically, we have the Apostle John testifying about John the Baptist. Then we have John the Baptist testifying about Jesus. Then we have John the Baptist. We didn't read this section yet. John the Baptist testifies about John the Baptist. He testified about himself, And then once again, in the final verses, as we're read, we see John the Baptist testifying about Jesus. Now, if you step back and read this chapter and think about why is the Apostle John talking about John the Baptist side by side with Jesus, and over and over, we're we're getting this clarity that John and Jesus are not the same person. The Apostle John, as he's writing this, is gonna use all kinds of means in which to show us that John the Baptist and Jesus are not the same. That's really interesting and it suggests to me that uh, and really we have clues of this in the Bible that there was some confusion that some people in those days in the time that John was writing there was people who were confused about John the Baptist versus Jesus. Maybe that surprises you but let me show you some reasons why that might have been so. Both John the Baptist and Jesus had a miraculous birth. So an angel came, in John the Baptist's case, to his father, Zechariah, and said, "Uh, I know know your wife has been barren her whole life, and now she's really old, you're both really old, but God is going to give you a son. And of course, that's what happened. And in Jesus' case, the angel came both to Joseph and Mary and said, there's going to be a miraculous pregnancy, a miraculous birth. So both of them had that on their resume. Both of them were promised in the Old Testament. In fact, in our passage here, when John says, uh, when he's asked, who are you? Who are you? He literally quotes from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah when he says, I'm a voice in the wilderness. He's quoting from Isaiah who is prophesying about him hundreds of years before he came. So both Jesus and John the Baptist were prophesied in the Old Testament. Of course, they lived and preached during the same period. Jesus would have been born just months after um John the Baptist and their ministries actually overlapped. Then we know that they both preached and they both baptized in the wilderness. In fact, the gospels are pretty clear. John had one sermon, repent. And then when you read about Jesus starting his ministry and preaching, he stole John's sermon. He preached repent. And so they had a similar ministry. They both baptized, they tended to hang out in the wilderness. And, of course, crowds came to them. Both fearlessly called people to repentance. That's why John the Baptist, of course, ended up in prison, because he uh, announced to Herod, the puppet king of Israel, that he shouldn't be married to or living with his brother's wife. And for that, he was thrown in prison. We saw Jesus all through the Gospels uh, speaking fearlessly to the Pharisees, the ones who ultimately would have him put to death and calling out their hypocrisy. Both, as I've mentioned already, had large followings. Both were arrested and put to death. Now, from our perspective, if you're a Bible student, if you've been a Christian for a while, if you went to Sunday school, you probably wonder, how could anyone mix these two up? But let me show you some biblical evidence that people did. So here's Mark chapter 8. When Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And their answer, of course, their first answer, among a few others, was John the Baptist. I don't know if they thought that John and Jesus were the same one. I mean, John uh, was put to death probably earlier on in the ministry of Jesus, so some people got confused and thought Jesus was kind of the continuation of John's ministry, or did they think that Jesus was like a reincarnation, a rebirth of John the Baptist in some way, but there was this confusion. Then we read in the book of Acts, Paul shows up in the city of Ephesus, an Asian city far from Jerusalem, and there he found some disciples and asked them, what baptism did you receive? And they said, John's baptism. So if you read that passage, you'll find that Paul... uh, teaches them more thoroughly and rightly, and they actually get baptized again as followers of Jesus. So here, this is years after the death of Jesus, but there were still people following John the Baptist. Now, we got to recognize, we have to acknowledge that John the Baptist was a pretty amazing person. Um, And I'm going to show you some biblical reasons why we can be sure of that. Here's what the angel said to Zechariah when he came to John the Baptist's father and said, by the way, you're going to have a child. He says of John the Baptist, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. That's what the angel said. Of, him. of course, we need to think about what Jesus said of John the Baptist. Here, speaking to a crowd, an antagonistic crowd, and he says, who did you go out to see? He's referring to how even the Pharisees flocked out to see John the Baptist and to hear him. So he says to them, Jesus says to them, what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet among those born of women, there is no one greater than John? John is one of the characters in the Bible that actually we don't really find anything negative about him. The the one thing that we might point out is that when John was in prison, he sent his messengers, probably some of his own disciples to Jesus to ask him, are you really the one? And of course, this is after John has already pronounced that Jesus is the one, the one that was to come. We're going to see that today. So his faith wavered. Some would say it's because He thought surely the Messiah would at least get him out of prison, which of course is not what Jesus did, and ultimately John died, and ultimately Jesus died. Perhaps a false understanding of what the Messiah would do, of course, which all of the disciples and Jewish people had. And yet Jesus could say of him, no one greater. Some would call John the final Old Testament prophet. His role and his purpose were crucial in the ministry of Jesus. So I want us to understand what was the purpose, what was John's purpose in coming to the earth. And we get this from the New Testament. We get it from those three Old Testament passages, one in Isaiah 40, and then two in the smaller book of Malachi. This is what the Bible says about John the Baptist. Number one, he was God's messenger. You see that in verse 6, of course, there was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify. This is what the Old Testament prophesied about him as well. He would be God's messenger. So here's a guy sent from God, empowered by God, with a message from God. It was his purpose. Number two, he had a very specific purpose to call God's people to repent and to turn back to God in preparation For the coming of Jesus. Now, there was a 400 year period, as some of you might know, between the Old and New Testament. It was a period of spiritual decline in the land of Israel. It was a time when there were no prophets. God God wasn't raising up prophets who were saying, Thus says the Lord. Uh, There were no supernatural events happening. And, of course, during that time, the Roman Empire came in and took up occupation of the land of Israel, which was a sign of God's judgment upon his people. It was a dark time in the life of God's people. There was spiritual decline. And so God wanted to awaken his people in preparation for the coming of Jesus. And especially, he needed them to turn From their sin. He needed their hearts to become soft to the reality of his presence and his holiness. He needed them to repent. And so that's why John came with that one sermon that he preached all over the place. Same message every time repent, turn back to God. You know, the reality is that one of the reasons that some of us struggle to receive Christ is the condition of our heart. We struggle to receive Christ because, well, perhaps we, we don't recognize ourselves as sinners. We struggle to receive Christ because we are so independent, so self-confident, so self-reliant. And the reality is our hearts are hard. It's like trying to plant a seed In hard clay that's been baked by the sun. It's impossible. You've got to go in and break up that soil and soften it up with some moisture and prepare for the seed to be planted. This is true for some of us. We're like the people of Israel who needed to be called back to God in repentance in preparation for receiving Jesus. And that was the final purpose that John had in his ministry was to introduce God's people to Jesus and then to point them to him. We're going to see that in our passage today. This was his job. His job was to let people know that Jesus was coming. And then you remember when Jesus came to get baptized by John the Baptist and a supernatural event occurred. When Jesus came up out of the water, this dove fluttered down from the sky and landed on him. And a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved son. And that was one of the ways that God used John the Baptist to introduce the whole nation to Jesus. You imagine, I don't know how many people were there at that time, but the word of mouth, the spreading, the gossiping about what people had seen and heard when Jesus was baptized. And of course, along with that, we have John, as we'll see today, announcing to the people, this is the Lamb of God, this is the Messiah, and he would point people to Jesus that was the purpose of John the Baptist. I want us to recognize that John understood that purpose, and he was comfortable to live out that purpose, or we could say it this way, John knew who he was, he knew what his job was, and he did it. I want this to be a challenge to us because one of the reasons we struggle in life or more specifically in the Christian life is because we don't really recognize who we are or we fail to recognize God's identity, the one that he has placed upon us in Christ. We haven't recognized our calling. To being a follower of Jesus, not just joining a religion and, and choosing a, a, a way of faith But it's a a whole new identity whereby Jesus makes us his own, puts his name upon us, puts his mission and calling upon us. But if we don't recognize that about ourselves, obviously we're not gonna be faithful to the calling that we have as followers of Jesus. So I want us to see how John understood his own calling, his own identity, and we see this especially In those verses where he's being interrogated, starting in verse 19, notice, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. Now, remember, he's drawing huge crowds, people are amazed by his preaching, people are repenting. But verse 20, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. You almost hear the way John says this, he's almost... It's almost like he's a bit surprised. That someone like John, who has such a massive following, who's become so popular, who everybody is talking about, it's almost like John is suggesting that, you know, he might have been tempted. He wouldn't, couldn't, couldn't, I mean, if it was me. I would have been tempted to say, yeah, well, maybe I am. Maybe I am the Messiah. I mean, I sure look like it. I mean, ask all these people, ask them what they think. So it's almost like John is emphasizing, John the Apostle is emphasizing, John's humility, his, his confidence to say who he really is. No, I am not the Messiah. They asked him then, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And then John, somewhat cryptically replies in the words of Isaiah the prophet. So here he understands, this is from Isaiah 40, he understood that this prophecy of Isaiah was about him. He understood that about himself. He understood that this was his calling, and yet he pulls from that prophecy the most humble expression that he could apply to himself. And he simply refers to himself from Isaiah's words as the voice of one calling in the wilderness Make straight the way for the Lord. Boy, there's humility in here. I mean, here's John, who might have tried to make a name for himself. He he might have wanted to have a business card and a website and write a book. But instead, he was simply faithful to the calling that he had. He never attempted to usurp something greater than what God had given him. And maybe this is why Jesus could say of him, he is the greatest If you know those verses, by the way, Jesus would go on to say that John's the the greatest born of woman, but the one who's least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. Jesus pointing out that true greatness comes from humility. And that's why John was great, because he was humble about himself, but he was faithful to fulfill the calling God had placed on him. So they said, Who are you? He said, I'm just the voice in the wilderness. Read on in verse 27, or verse 26, you could start there. I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He's the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. John could see himself and his identity rightly, as all of us need to. It's not just who I am and who I think I am or who I want to be. My true identity is the one I have before my Creator, The God who made me the God who died to save me my true identity my proper understanding of myself has to take into account who I am before him and John as he thought about Jesus could rightly say though he was the greatest born of women that he perhaps was the greatest prophet in the history of Israel but when it came to Jesus he could say I'm not worthy to untie his sandals by the way whose job was that untying of sandals and washing of feet was reserved for your lowest ranking slave. That's who got that job. And John could say that I am not worthy to be the lowest ranking slave of Jesus Christ. Not worthy to undo his sandals. Then if we flip over to chapter 3 and some of the final words of John the Baptist in John's Gospel, we hear him say that Jesus must become greater and I must become less. John knew who he was. So I ask us this question before we continue, do you know who you are? We live in a time in which our culture, our world, is telling us that our identity Our understanding of who we are is self-imposed. That it is right and needed for us to have a concept of ourself that comes from within that we are faithful to. And the idea that someone else would place some kind of identity upon you is the worst crime, the the worst sin that could ever happen to us. And anyone who would ever try to place an identity on someone is thought of as bigoted. So let's just look at a few great philosophers of our time. Starting with Lady Gaga. Don't you ever let a soul in the world tell you that you can't be exactly... Who you are. Now, let's granted, I understand there's a concept here that is true that even in the Christian life, we understand that God has made us all uniquely, He's gifted us all uniquely. We don't have to try and be someone that we're not. That's that's true. So I know I'm exaggerating this statement at least a little bit. But we know behind these words is that concept that you and only you decide your identity. Or Jim Carrey. Who could say, Don't let anything stand in the way of the light that shines through you. And then these, what I would call heretical words, blasphemous words, risk being seen in all your glory. You realize he's lifted those words from our faith, from our Bibles, words that should be applied to God and to Christ alone. And he's telling us that the glory is ours. Don't let anyone steal it from you. You decide what it is. You decide what it looks like. You decide who you are. And glory in yourself. Or Taylor Swift could say, just be yourself. There's no one better. Well, that's not what John said, is it? He said, one comes after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. You cannot properly see yourself and understand who you are if you do not understand that there is a holy God in heaven who created you, who sent his Son, the Son of God, to die for you. And that is why God's Word says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You can't get to first base in understanding yourself or anything else if you don't understand that there is a creator God who will hold you accountable, who designed you to be made in his image, to be a reflection of his glory, and every one of us have turned away from him and refused and said, no, the throne is mine. That's what we've said. And that's the essence of the mistake that so many of us make when we ask ourselves this question, do you know who you are? The simplest way to find out if we've got the right idea or not is to ask ourselves, who's in control of your life? Who's in the control tower? Who sits on the throne of your soul? Because when we define our identity in our own way, when we decide that life will be what I choose, my goals, my course will be what I choose, And that's who I am. And you can't tell me any differently. We have immediately signaled to God and hopefully it can possibly signal and raise the alarm in our own lives that you don't understand who you are at all. If you sit on the throne of your life You chase your dreams, you do what you want to do, and you don't have this heart of surrender and humility that says, There is an awesome God in heaven who made me, and my rightful place is to simply serve him, then you don't really know who you are. Do you see what John's doing in this passage? He's clarifying his reader. Make sure you don't get this confused. This is John the Baptist, this is who he was and this is Jesus, and this is who he is, and we have to go through the same process. That's why I've called this sermon, Who's Who? Do you know who you are, and do you know who Jesus is? Until you know both of those things, you are living in confusion. And that's our second question, and it's where our passage leads us next, is this question, do you know who Jesus is? And of course, that's really what John's role was. We saw in verse 7, he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. And then you can see in verse 15, John testifying the very thing he was called to do. He testified concerning him, Jesus. He cried out, saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was Before me, And then you can come to the very end of the passage, starting in verse 29, and we read that John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, we can hear him in his loud voice, you know how loud you had to talk to a crowd of people outdoors? John had a voice, he had pipes, and I I wish I could hear the sound of his voice saying, look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man comes after me who surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. And so in all of these verses, we have John testifying so helpfully for us because it's recorded in God's word who Jesus is. So let's have a look at what John said about Jesus. Starting in the words we found in verse 15, John says, he was before me. You say, wait John, wait a minute. Go back and read Luke's gospel. You'll remember that you were actually born before Jesus. Don't you realize that, John the Baptist? That by the time the angel came to Mary and announced that she would get pregnant, your mom was already pregnant with you. Don't you remember the story that when Mary came to visit your mother, Elizabeth, that you jumped in her womb by the Holy Spirit? John, you were born first. John says, I know, I know that, but he was before me. You know what John is saying in those very, very simple words, this is God. This is the eternal, timeless God of creation. We've already seen that last week in the early verses of John, that Jesus, not just Jesus of Nazareth, not just a man who was born in our world and died, but the creator of all things, the eternal God Of the universe, and with those simple words, that's what John is saying. Which, of course, is why he could go on and say those things that we've already talked about this morning that he's not worthy to be the lowest ranking slave in the service of Jesus Christ. He's not worthy to be the one to untie the sandals and to wash the feet of the Son of God. And then in verse 29, we find these awesome words. He sees Jesus coming toward him. He announces in the loud voice, just as God intended for him to do this man, this Jesus of Nazareth, is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's amazing, you know, because what I spoke about a few minutes ago, this issue we have with our identity, this problem we have with usurping the throne of God, the throne of our own lives is at the very heart of what sin is. It's the reason that Adam and Eve fell into sin. The devil comes along and says, don't you realize if you eat that fruit, God said don't eat, but don't you realize if you eat that fruit, don't you realize all the benefits you're gonna get? Don't you know that God's holding out on you? Every sin committed by every person who's ever lived begins with usurping the authority of our lives from the God who made us. Jesus is the one who rescues us from that sin and all of the sins that flow from that rebelliousness and the usurping of God's rightful place in our lives. And the way in which Jesus rescues us from that sin of pride and selfishness and self-centeredness and self-glory is by becoming a lamb. Have you ever wondered how the Bible, this might be new for some of you, but how is it that the Bible can speak of Jesus as the lamb and speak of Jesus as the lion? Have you ever wondered about that? The book of Revelation says that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. That line through which the kings of Israel came, and of course Jesus would be the true and ultimate an eternal king of Israel. And so he's the lion of the tribe of Judah, and there's glimpses in his earthly life and ministry where the power of God roared through him. And yet all through his ministry we find him like a lamb, humbling himself, so gentle with the sinful and with the destitute And, of course, John ultimately is calling Jesus a lamb, not merely because he was lowly and gentle, but because he became the sacrificial lamb, the ultimate sacrificial lamb, the fulfillment of thousands and thousands of lamb sacrifices that Israel had made through many centuries. But Jesus, through his death, stepping off his throne... And getting nailed to a cross and laying down his life and pouring out his blood was the means by which we can be forgiven for stealing the throne and usurping his rightful place in our lives. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Has he taken that sin in your life? Has he redeemed that sin or are you still living there? Are you still living on that throne of pride and self-glory and self-sufficiency? Or have you given that place over to Jesus, the one who left the throne to become your Savior? John declared this to us. Then he says these powerful words. Jesus, he says, I baptize with water. But this one who's coming will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, I I know those are strange words, but I want us to see the good of them. Now, what happened here today when we baptized three people is we dunked them underwater. There's a lot of imagery with that. Jeff mentioned some of that to us, the imagery of going down under, kind of like death and burial, coming back up, kind of like resurrection, This kind of baptism is a little bit different because when we're baptized into the Holy Spirit it's not going in and coming back out again. When we're baptized in the Holy Spirit it's a once for all thing. So since I've been so profound to quote from Taylor Swift and Jim Carrey today I'm going to give you an illustration that will surely blow your minds. This is what I think of. I'm sorry I love food and I love to eat but when I think of what it means to be baptized into the Holy Spirit, this is the imagery that comes. When we trust in Christ, when we come to Him by faith, when we surrender our lives to Jesus, when we, uh, when we, when we seek salvation in Him alone, the Bible says that we are baptized into the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, what happens is, we are literally, Scripture says, we're sealed into the Holy Spirit. And none of us can ever get these cans open, right? Like, we're sealed in there. So we are in the pickles in the brine. This is where it's so profound, because the brine is also in the pickle. I know, you can't even hear me say that without laughing. Let's get the picture off and just think about the truth of this, that when when we are followers of Jesus, we are baptized into the Holy Spirit, or you could say baptized into Christ. We we are placed and sealed into the very life of Christ, and his very life has been placed into and sealed into us. The security of that, the wonder of that, the resource that that is in our lives. Why would we possibly want to hold tightly to the throne of our lives and say, no, no, I got this. I'll run the show here, God. I don't need you. Which is, of course, so foolish. When all the while, what God offers us in salvation is to be so united with His own life and presence that He literally comes and lives within us and we live permanently forever within Him. Do we understand Salvation? Do we, do we understand what it is to be a follower of Jesus? Do we, do, do we seek the power and the resource that is available to us because we know Jesus? If you're a genuine believer, you've been baptized into the Holy Spirit. No wonder God says, pray without ceasing. Because continuously, forever, by your side, in your soul, is the almighty supernatural presence of God saying I'm with you you're not alone don't don't try to do this alone do we know who Jesus is? well I want to finish with this last point we asked do you know who you are? we asked do you know who Jesus is? I want to ask this final question do you tell people who Jesus is? Because what I find so fascinating as I look at the life of John the Baptist is that you can can see a complete parallel between his life and ministry and ours. That if you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus has assigned you with a ministry that is almost exactly like the ministry of Jesus. But you don't have to wear camel skins or eat grasshoppers. Did you know that you have been called, just as John was, and sent into the world? Later in John, we could read this prayer of Jesus, speaking of not only his disciples, but all of his future followers. And he says this of us, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. You know, what our church has done for the last 50 years is we've emphasized that we are not to be in the world. We, we should be separate from the world. Well, yeah, based on your behavior, our attitudes. That doesn't mean we're not supposed to be sent into the world and rubbing shoulders and sharing the good news with people all around us. That's what our calling is. Jesus was very explicit with his disciples in Acts chapter 1 just before he ascended to heaven when he said, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And of course, we should have included the words right before that where he says, It's the Holy Spirit who will come upon you to empower you to do that work. Did you know that just as John was a forerunner one who would prepare the hearts of people for jesus that's our role maybe we get too intimidated because we think no it's up to me to win a soul no you can't win a soul only god can save somebody but it is our job to be the forerunner to be the messenger and you can't look around and say well no that's not my job that's that's not my gift Let the pastors, let the elders do that. Let someone else do that. That's not my gift. No, this is fundamental to everyone who is a follower of Jesus. This is your calling. We all have different gifts. We all have different abilities. We all have different ministries. But this is for all of us because when we're baptized into the Spirit, we are baptized into the mission of God. So we can't say, no, that's not for me. Yes, it is. And then you say, well, well, I can't do that. Yes, you can. You're in the pickle jar. You've got this. Well, no, you don't have this. God has this. God lives within you. How could we possibly say, I can't do it? We can. It's time that we stand up in faith and say, based on who God is and what He's called us to do and the fact that He lives within us, that we can be what He has called us to be. And we can do exactly what our world so desperately needs. We can make him known. We can be like John the Baptist. We can point people to Jesus and we can say, look to him. Look to him. He's all you need. Don't look to yourself. Don't define yourself. Look to Jesus. That is our calling. That is what it means to be all for Christ. May it be true of God's people at Wallenstein Bible Chapel. We're going to sing, and then we're going to pray. Please say, standing as we pray, I've asked Shannon to uh, close in prayer today.
1: Let's pray, Father God, it's been so good to be in your house this morning to celebrate your goodness to us, your grace to us. And God, we've been humbled this morning, Lord. We've been reminded that We are not on the throne of our lives. We have a a God in heaven, one who's created us, who's redeemed us, who's planned out our lives. And so, God, we confess, Lord, that we have wanted to take control, Lord, but you are in control of our lives. You are the one who is seated on the throne, Lord, and we humbly surrender our lives to you. And, Father, we acknowledge this morning that we have been given a mission, an important mission, a mission that's been empowered by your Holy Spirit. Father, we've been called to point people to Jesus Christ to say, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And so, Father, we pray this morning that you would give us opportunities this week to do just that. Lord, give us opportunities in the halls of our schools. Give us opportunities in our workplaces with the person in the office next to us. Give us opportunities across backyard fences with our neighbors. Give us opportunities, Lord, in uh, the school pickup line with other moms. Father, would you prepare those opportunities where we could come alongside people whom you love, whom you want to save, and just speak a word of encouragement and point them to Jesus Christ. God, help us to take this mission seriously. And so, Lord, we go in the strong name of Jesus Christ. We go empowered by your Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Lord, for these opportunities to serve you. In Jesus' matchless name, amen.
0: Amen. John was sent in the spirit and power of Elijah, but we go now in the spirit and power of Jesus Christ himself. So may God be with you this week. Amen. (laughs)